Get the bass player in here. Get your Bible open. Get your Bible open. Going to be in chapter 2 today. How about that? Sign of the end times or what? Chapter 2. I'm going to roll a little faster now, Lord willing. Thank you for your faithfulness to this study. I know it's to the Lord and to his word, and that's a good thing, and he's worthy of it. Amen? So grow us today, Lord, through your word. Change us. Wow, did we hear a sermon yesterday. Did we not, men? Our wives could really use that sermon that we had. Yesterday, I was thinking about her the whole time. Hi, Patricia. Time to pray, right? I think that would, time to pray. Help Kevin, Lord. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this day. Just look back when we were, uh, seemed like a month or two ago, and oh, it was so dry. Going to lose all the crops. and, and, And we look now, look at your faithfulness, just in the rain the care of your world. So we give you praise. We're, we are we're so well reminded yesterday, and we need to be reminded every day, that we were not created for ourselves. And I certainly hope that we are reminded of that from your word this day. And we ask that you would bless your church, your called out ones, your body of Christ today as we are privileged to be beyond anything within ourselves to be part of it and to know you through your son and to be ever aware of what he did to redeem us, what you gave up, what you accomplished. The wonder of crushing your own son, as the prophet Isaiah declared. What a What a gracious, glorious, good, loving, holy God that you are. Be exalted today through our our worship from our hearts. And we pray these things in Christ's name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So, it was in the 60s. Going to date some of you. It was called Queen for a Day, and it was a program where they would have these four gals come, and they would, with a full audience, they would explain the hardship of every one of these gals, all that was going on in their lives and what they lost and difficulties and everything. And then uh, one of them would be chosen to be Queen for the Day. And they would just shower that gal with all kinds of gifts and all kinds of things that would help her out in her life and so forth. It was interesting. It, they, it had a, uh, of course, I wasn't even born back, <coughs> back then. But they, they even had a, they had like a, 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 a thing that was like a monitor that would show how much the, the, the uh, crowd would clap concerning who was the worst off of the four. I always felt bad for the other three, you know? They were just nothing. Um, 
But everybody wants to be queen for a day, all the gals would say. How about king for a day, right? How about king for a day? How about king for 40 years? For 40 years and have everything and anything that you would want at your fingertips and still say it's pretty empty. And that's what we're talking about in chapter 2, verses 1 through verse uh, 11 uh, this morning. And I said to myself, here he is again, come now, come now. In fact, it's good for us to come back to a, an excellently stated uh, goal of the book of Ecclesiastes as we come back to it this morning. Just wrap your mind around this excellent reminder as the purpose of the book that we're in. The purpose of Ecclesiastes is to convince men of the uselessness of any worldview which does not rise above the horizon of man himself. It pronounces the verdict of vanity of vanities upon any philosophy of life which regards the created world or human enjoyment as an end in and of itself. To view personal happiness as the highest good in life is sheer folly in view of the preeminent value of God himself as over against his created universe. I wonder if you'd be thinking about Romans 1 right there where Paul demonstrating the reality of man's rebellion to God that at the expense of worshiping the creator, he worships the creation. His created universe, nor can happiness ever be attained by pursuing after it, since such a pursuit involves the foolishness of self-deification. That is a great statement concerning the reality of the point that God has this book in his word for us. If, or better sense, Ecclesiastes is a dose of reality of life for people under the, everybody say it, under the, under the sun. If it is a dose of reality, it is in the most prominent worldview known and lived by fallen humanity. And it's presented to us in verses 1 through verse 11. Riken has a great brief quote that lays it out for us as to what we're talking about in these verses. And so the preacher, Koheleth Solomon, became an experimental hedonist, choosing to make his own personal happiness his main purpose in life. Now, we can say this different ways. Somebody has just used this as a reversal that's going on in, in these verses, the reversal of the uh, Westminster Catechism that begins with what is the chief end of man uh, to, uh, to know God and enjoy him forever. But what's going on in these verses could be the chief end is to entertain man's self and enjoy 
himself to the end. So, to find meaning and purpose and significance and satisfaction of the soul, we see Solomon on another journey. And what's happening is we've moved from verses 12 through verse 17 of a wisdom journey, human wisdom, and he's saying that doesn't cut it. That doesn't find meaning and significance. Now he goes to a pleasure journey. And now he's going to pull out all the stops with reference, yeah, hedonism. We could, we could also call this uh, humanism or the, the philosophy that says uh, let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you may die. Interesting quote I heard about that recently. I don't have it in the overhead, but uh, I read in a commentary uh, this uh, statement. The Greek historian Herodotus tells us of an interesting custom of the Egyptians. In social meetings among the rich, when a banquet was ended, a servant would often carry around among the guests a coffin in which was a wooden image of a corpse carved and painted to resemble a dead person as near as possible. The servant then would show it to the guests and would say to them, Gaze here and drink and be merry, for when you die, such you shall be. <laughs> wow. Is this, if this life is all there is, why should the sensual not rule? Why not grab all we can, do all we can, live all we can, have all we can, if we die only to remain dead? Hedonism in that sense, makes perfect sense, does it not? So, perhaps we should make sure we're talking about what we're talking about when we call his journey hedonism. Wikipedia says hedonism, and I don't think it can be expressed more clearly, the pursuit of pleasure. Look at verse, chapter 2, verse 1. Come now, and I will test yourself with what? With pleasure. There it is. And I looked it up in the Hebrew, and you know what it means? Pleasure. Yes. It's hedonism, the pursuit of pleasure, sensual self-indulgence. And he's going to go that route and see if that's where it's at. And who could go that journey better than, than Solomon? We're never, we're never going to watch a TV commercial that says, that is selling a product under the banner of how to be a happy hedonist. You're never going to see a real estate ad that says, uh, uh, this is the perfect prop property for the hedonistic family. Hollywood is never going to be known as the land of the unholy hedonist, but it is. But now we have to put this all in proper perspective. Likewise, with a brief quiz. Everybody say yay. Brief quiz, Yes. And so here are some true and false, so we put this all in proper perspective and then dive right into more of the text, okay? But true or false this morning, number one, number one, hedonism, hedonism is something unique to the non-Christian. So we can say here, these verses are about them. That's what we love to do, amen? Okay, you would say false. I would agree with you. It's very easy to live for here and now and things and wealth, and on it goes. Can we say amen to that? In fact, we have a very, very appealing gospel today 
that is a dirty, rotten, godless, hedonistic gospel. That God exists for you, a prosperity God, a prosperity gospel, and he wants you to have everything that will make you wealthy, healthy, and happy right now. And it is from the pits of hell. So, yeah, we're going to say false to that one. It's something that can relate to you and I, even right now. Okay, you passed. So far you have 100. I got 38 questions. You ready? No, only three. Second one, pleasure is not a bad word, rather a wrong road to take in seeking significance and purpose. How would you answer that one? True, right? You with me? Everybody saying with me? You're afraid to answer. If you give a wrong answer, I'll have you stand up, okay? <laughs> pleasure is not a bad thing. God is a good God, a giver of many gifts for us to enjoy. We have the pleasure of friendships. We have the pleasure of air conditioning on a warm day. We have the simple pleasures of life. We have the pleasure of watching our grandkids grow up. <laughs> Took them out for lunch yesterday. Said so we're going to have lunch. See, there's a lunch menu over here. Just lunch menu. <laughs> and didn't order from it, but I still have the pleasure. You want the smaller or the large? The large. <laughs> pleasures of life. God is a... God is a good God. Take your Bible so that we're not going to the other ditch this morning. Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Ah, is that where I want? Where I want Timothy. Ah, I think it's in Ephesians. Pleasure, Ephesians. Come on, Kevin. What is the verse that I wanted here? Joy. Let's check, Timothy. Hey, First Timothy. First Timothy. Thanks for your patience. Chapter 6. A little farther to the right, huh? First Timothy 6. Pleasure is not a bad word. That's what we're saying today. And God has blessed us many things. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father, right? So many pleasures. We're talking about pursuit of life as pleasure. Okay, First Timothy chapter 6. Oh, that great statement about God who possesses, verse 16, immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and in eternal dominion. And we all say amen. Now look at verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Then look what else it says. But on God who richly supplies us with all things to what? To enjoy. Many good gifts, most of all the gift of his, of his son. So pleasure's not a, not a bad word. I think I've got a quote here that I'm going to bring back to us later. But Derek Kidner says, what spoils the pleasure of life for us? is our hunger to get out of them more than they can ever deliver. Getting eternal and ultimate meaning out of temporal and temporary pursuits is destined to fail. That's the problem. And that's the problem that Solomon is going to clearly convey to us. Okay, one more, one more. 
true or false. For many, pleasure is the necessary distraction from all of the heartaches of life. Yeah, true, true. So, all right, having thought about those particular truths, verse 1, I said to myself, come now and I will test you with pleasure. So, enjoy yourself. You finally have found your life verse. Amen? Right there. So, enjoy yourself. But don't stop. He gives us a conclusion right up front. <laughs> and behold, it too was vanity. Bounce over to verse 10. All that my eyes desired, whew, king for a day, queen for a day, all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. Wow. Oh, boy. So here we go, party at the palace, and he had a big palace. Here we go. Different, interesting how different guys uh, title this section. Uh, Let the good times roll, (laughs) somebody else said. Here comes the self-worship, desire-driven life. Here it comes. And the possibility for every, every pleasure in Solomon's world that he could desire. And he has absolute authority and wealth beyond means. But notice how he conveys the reality of that right up front. So note how everything he is going to mention likewise. Oh, I bounced ahead a page here. Yeah, I've got a note here. He's going to tell you everything that he's tried. He's like taking a teenager after football practice to Golden Corral. He's going to try everything, maybe more than once. And one of the ways that he's going to experience pleasure, look at verse 2. I said of laughter. (laughs) Well, that is madness and of pleasure. What does it accomplish? But here we go to one aspect of pleasure is to be amused, right? Is to be entertained. Now again, I'm just pointing out all of this is outside of the pleasure that comes to your soul in pleasing God. We're outside of that. It's the pleasure regarding this this life and all there is available here. So one of the ways that he pursued this in verse 2 was that of laughter. Do you know that kings had court jesters? Abbott and Costello, 24 hours a day, right? Entertain me, amuse me, make me happy. (laughs) Court jesters. So again, we don't want to go to the other ditch. Laughter itself is a gift from God. Deborah and I laugh together a lot, but at this point in our life, we laugh at each other a lot. (laughs) How do the scissors get in the refrigerator? You know, (laughs) things things like that. You have to wait to get older to appreciate those kinds of things. But laughter is, wow, in fact, 
There's an interesting statement in the book of Job. You know, Bildad is trying to communicate to Job if he'll just come up clean and realize that he's suffering because he's done something wrong or because of his sin. But he says to them, if, if you do, it's, it's not right because it wasn't the fact that he was sinning, per se. But he says, uh, Bildad says, he will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouting. Enjoy life again. You, you can laugh. You can laugh. But here's the problem. You can't laugh your problems away, right? Or we'd say it this way, wouldn't we? Life is not a laughing matter. Jesus made a statement to us as believers in Christ. These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. You have that today in Christ? See, I'm at peace with God through Christ. I'm at peace with him because of Christ being real and in my life, and I've repented of my sin, and I've trusted in Christ and Christ alone, and I'm a believer, and I know it. These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. Everybody say amen. But in the world, you're going to have what? You're going to have tribulation. I realize he's saying that believers, but it's universal. Man is born for trouble, Job said, as sure as sparks fly upward. So life is not a laughing matter, Solomon. We could have told you that. We could have told you that. And for many... Laughter or amusement is an escape or an exterior veneer in life. You know what veneer is, right? You're going to buy that beautiful door for your home because it looks like walnut, and you go up and look close, and it's just thin paper, right? For many, life is veneer of happy time all the time. Ha, 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 everything's wonderful. And yet at the same time, what does the Bible say? Even in laughter, the heart may be in pain, and the end of joy may be grief. Maybe you think about people that you know concerning that, that they come across that way, way all the time. I read something, I don't want to bother with, the, with a long a quote, but uh, he was developing the fact that so many of the people in the, quote, uh, entertainment world that are comedians, how often they are some of the most uh, depressing people that you might ever meet when you get alone with them. Uh, Swindoll makes the fact a disturbed and deeply troubled man individual went to the doctor to get his relieve his anxiety. He awoke melancholy every morning and he went to bed in the evening deeply distressed. His day was marked by darkness and clouds. He couldn't find relief from the anxiety. The doctor listened to him go on for almost an hour. Finally, he leaned forward to the patient and he said to him, you know, there's a local show at theater. And I understand a new comedian, had come, comedian has come into our town and he's got everybody rolling in the aisles, getting rare reviews. Maybe he's the one that will bring back some laughter to your life. Why don't you go and laugh your troubles away? The guy put his head down and mumbled, Dr., I'm the guy. I'm the comedian. So, life is not a laughing manner. Notice he, he combines that with, I said of laughter, and then he said it's of madness. In other words, it's drive you insane. That's really what he's saying. It just, it, it, if it's just total ongoing, it, it just give you a headache. He's saying it, it, it isn't going to get it when it comes to significance in this life. It's just madness. It's just madness. Then in verse 3, Alistair begged, we love him, do we not? 
He says, now Solomon moves from the comedy club to the bar. Whoa, this is dangerous, huh? I explored with my mind how to, to, a key word here, the word stimulate. If your Bible says something like be cheerful or something that matter, it's not that. The Hebrew word here is the idea to be seized or carried off or drawn out or away by something. Now just think about that for a moment. That's the Hebrew word. It's to be seized or carried off or be drawn out or away by something. I I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding wisely, okay, and how to take hold of folly... You know what that is. That's the, just the let go, ungodly, try whatever you like, do whatever you like, life, until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do, do under heaven the few years of their lives. Whoa, what a life, huh? Right? It's interesting here. Hmm. So what is he talking about? What is he talking about here? I think I have a helpful quote on this. Yeah, I'm going to quote this guy to uh, what I think is helpful about this particular text. Because whoever you read, they're saying, well, he was just a connoisseur here, kind of just tasted, see what the, how that would stimulate him. And others say, no, the guy got blitzed. So let's go to these guys. And then if you have any more questions about alcohol or wine or whatever, our pastor should be here in a month or two. You, 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 you take it up with him, amen? Okay? You got your strong opinions about alcohol. Scholars disagree about what Solomon's experiment looked like. Some believe the phrase, my mind still guiding me with wisdom, indicates that Solomon did not get drunk. Thus, he was a self-controlled connoisseur of fine wine. Others think the phrase, grass folly, indicates that he did indulge and became sloppy drunk. So the two opinions are that he was either a wine connoisseur who knew how to pair fine wine with his main course, or he was a frat boy wasting away in Margaritaville. Well, which is it? Well, he says in his opinion, Solomon, he thinks, did both. I think he says he tried wisdom and folly, and he tried every angle, and he came away empty. He wanted to find out if drinking and parties were the best solution to the emptiness of life in the face of coming death, and he concluded that drinking does not take away the pain. Somebody told me one time, that's where guys went to after World War II when they came back and were trying to deal with all the pain. They ended up in the bars. My friends came back from Vietnam, and they didn't go to the bars. They... they, we're on the drugs. Now, how do you deal with pains, pains of life? So let me just say this. Let me just say this this morning. I especially want the young people to listen to Pastor right now. The world is filled with people's regrets as to the stupid, terrible, hurtful, horrible things people have done under the influence of of something other than self-control. So 
this out-of-control idea, think, I think, connects back to that word stimulus. I think it had him out of the self-control that God desires of us from a secondary source. Either way, we know this. Now turn to the book of Ephesians this time, and I do mean Ephesians. Okay? Here's what you and I know. If you are claiming to be a believer, here's what you and I know about anything that has control over us other than God and His Word. Verses 15 and through verse 17 of chapter 5 tells us to walk in wisdom. Next week, next week, Dave Pitcock is going to be going to the Proverbs and give us the true wisdom life, a reminder as the true wisdom life. I love Wiersbe's. I'm sure I've said it to you many times. I love Wiersbe's definition of wisdom. Wisdom is looking at life from God's point of view and responding accordingly. We're under the sun. We're on the human level here in, in, in Ecclesiastes right now with Solomon, are we not? Okay, he says uh, we ought to be careful how we walk, verse 15. But then verse 18, we're reminded, for anyone who claims Christ, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That word dissipation is riotous living. Just stupid living. But be filled, and the verb here is, we could translate it, be continually be being filled. That's the verb. Be continually be being filled with the Spirit of God. Speaking to one another. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. There is the evidence results of, and here's how we are to be controlled. We're to be people controlled by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God brings a self. One of the fruit of the Spirit is a self-controlled life. Amen? So we understand that, do we not? Back to chapter 2. All right. So, he's just seeing what it all feels like. The feeling-oriented, desire-driven, self-focused life. Going to find true meaning there? I don't think so. He told us, told us right at the beginning. So in verse 4 through verse, really the rest of our verses, through verse 11, now Solomon gives himself to the pleasure of accomplishments, building projects, and the accumulation of wealth to see if that will make life worth living and produce meaning and significance. Now, let's caution ourselves again. There's nothing wrong with accomplishing things in life. Just the issue is, who's going to get the glory for it? Not yesterday or the day before. I fixed. Yes, I I fixed, I made a repair on our shed. Did I not, Deborah? And I'm still feeling pretty good about it. And I didn't do it with duct tape or super glue. An accomplishment. But I want to thank God for the strength just to do it because I want to be biblical in my response. Amen? 
Nothing wrong. I'm just driving home. There's nothing wrong with accomplishments in life. We don't want to sit on our duff and contemplate our navel, right? We want to be productive in this life. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's everything wrong with this. Notice verse 4. Notice how often he says, me, myself, and I. Everybody with me? The unholy trinity. I enlarge my works. I built houses for who? Everybody, when I get to that, you've got to say it, respond real loud, okay? I enlarge my works and I built houses for? I planted vineyards for? I made gardens and parks for? And I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. And I made ponds of water for? Yeah, just get the drift. From which to irrigate a forest? I bought male and female slaves and I had home-born slaves and I put flocks and herds larger than all who proceeded in Jerusalem. Also, I collected for, can you stand with me? <laughs> Silver and gold. And the treasure of King's province. I provided for, wow. Male and female. I thought he was a king. I thought a king might be concerned about his people, yet alone whoever made him king. You see what's happening here. You do. And he's, he's, he's driving this home. The Spirit's driving this home. So, you know, who, who, who's it all for? Myself. And I want you to note how everything is in the plural. In other words, it's not just a single accomplishment. It's all these accomplishments directed toward him. Everything in the plural. And contrast everything with Mark 8.36. And if you don't know Mark 8.36 or have it marked in your Bible, you better do it today. Because here's what it says. And you know the verse. Everybody listening? What does it profit a man if he gains the and forfeits his? Yeah, there it is. All's got to be contrasted with Mark 8.36, does it not? Pleasures, gifts, yes. Thank, thank you, Lord. H. Beecher said success... Success, however you define that, is full of promise until you get it. Hmm. So, all that he enjoyed for himself. Then I became great and increased, more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Verse 9. My wisdom also stood with me. (laughs) All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse myself. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Oh, boy. Verse 11, thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. You know what he sounds like? He sounds like that braggy king of Babylon. Remember? And what did God say? I'm going to turn you into a human lawnmower for a little while. You know, a beast. And remind you, who runs this world. Hmm. I did not withhold my heart for any pleasure. I was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all of my labor. Thus, I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I exerted, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. Just like trying to grab a hold of the wind. Wow. D. Aikens, father, son, I think it's pretty cool. Put this commentary together. It's a great series. I tend to buy um, as many of these series I could get. The Christ-Centered Exposition Series. It's really um, 
a well-done series of small commentaries, very readable. Um, they put it together this way. Let me read this for us, uh, rather than just hit every one of these obvious verses as to what he's saying here. He says, Solomon now lists all the other things he turned to in his search. So many things on this list are the things many of us think would make our lives happy and fulfilled. Look at all his achievements. He built houses. Solomon built, built God's house, the temple, 1 Kings 5. He built which, which, the glory of the temple. He built his own palace, which took how many years? His own palace, 13, 13, and was actually bigger than the temple. He built houses and shrines for his wives, had 700, 700 of them. Many people think if they could have a bigger house or nicer neighborhood, then they will have arrived. Or maybe you want a lake house or a beach house. No amens here, okay? Maybe that's your dream. Solomon had all of that and then some. In fact, he built entire cities, Second Chronicles 8. Solomon indulged in the best of architecture, the best of agriculture, and the best of engineering, 2, 4 through 6. He planted vineyards, gardens, and parks. He constructed an entire irrigation system to water these gardens and these parks. One can still find these pools of Solomon in Israel yet today. Literally, Solomon tried to create a new garden of Eden. The phrase, every kind of fruit tree in them, in 2, verse 5, is used three times in the creation account. He tried to get back to paradise, but one cannot get back there in a fallen world. He would have been number one on the ancient version of MTV's cribs or lifestyles of the rich and famous. He had tons of servants who waited on him hand and foot. Many of you are thinking right now, oh my, it would be nice to have a maid to clean a house. Chef cooked the meals, landscape person mow the grass, and a stylist to put on my makeup and choose my clothes for the day. Solomon had all that more. He had more herds, more flocks than any person before him in Jerusalem. He accumulated an insane amount of silver and gold. The phrase, the treasure of kings and providences, refer to vassal states that sent Solomon tribute and to the taxation of his own people. Solomon did not just have money, he had military victories, and fame because he subdued surrounding nations. He had so much money that silver was as common as stones. Now the weight of gold which came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold, which I assigned my grandson to figure that out based upon the price of gold per ounce. What would the total amount be? Real loud, what? How's that for an allowance? $1.6 besides all the other wealth that he accumulated. You, sure, you just rounded that up, didn't you? Yeah, you did, okay. Give you a C on that one, okay? He loved the arts, and he had enough money to buy a choir. <laughs> Indulge in sexual pleasure. Solomon concluded the search for pleasure by saying he denied himself nothing. He had the most success, best houses, the most possessions, the richest lifestyle, the most sophistication, the finest wines, the most incredible parties and feasts, the greenest lawn, the best servants, more money than we could imagine, military fame, popularity, endless entertainment, and as much pleasure personally as anyone could ever indulge in. And he says it was all empty. 
Do we really believe that? It led to nothing but brokenness. Incidentally, much of what he detailed in, is a violation of the king's law in Deuteronomy 17, which ultimately cost him the kingdom, didn't it? So here's the point. He outdid anything we could ever do. Solomon had more and did more than anyone before him. He indulged in every desire and saw it as the reward for all of his effort. He concluded that everything was meaningless. He did not gain anything and simply was trying to grab the wind. Even though he played out every one of his fantasies in real life, nothing fulfilled. We better take some time for application. Let's do that, okay? People often say, or you've heard it said, experience is the best teacher. Everybody say, not so. A little better. Everybody say, experience is a good teacher, but it's not the best teacher. And don't you dare ever say, I have to try this before I find out whether it's good or bad for me. The Bible is saturated with warnings, and you gain wisdom from the Word and from other people. You don't have to go through the stuff that will hurt you in order to experience. You don't have to experience things to do so. So, application. We, we, don't, we don't have to go this route in life. Somebody wrote in one of the commentaries, don't wait too long before you believe what Solomon is saying is true. Okay, another application. In the New Testament, the pleasure journey is called for the believer walking in the flesh. And the flesh doesn't produce much at all other than sin. Galatians 5, okay? The desire-driven, I'm saying it again, the desire-driven, feeling-oriented, self-indulgent life produces neither righteousness nor significance. So, for you and I, every day, we say two choices on the shelf. We have fun with that. But every day and every choice, here are two choices. I'm going to live the feeling-oriented, self-focused, desire-driven life that will make me happy. And it's going to be Kevin. In fact, it's going to be in a large size over here. So tomorrow when I get here at the office or whenever, I can bow down to it. Or it's going to be the command-oriented, truth-oriented, God-oriented choice in order to please him. And it's one or the other every day in every choice. So it is two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing what? And we're there. And, and the self-oriented, flesh-oriented life. Or another way we can say, the flesh is just simply my, living my life without God and his word in mind. It's just living my life without God in mind. So, New Testament, the pleasure journey is called walking in the flesh. Third, 1 John 2, turn there. 1 John 2. Go fast. Go fast, but not so fast you don't find First John. But let's just read it. Let's just read it here, First John chapter 2. This is written to believers who easily can be wrapped up. You already said that. Hedonism can be true in a Christian's life. We're not careful. But let's just listen to what John says in First John about life, beginning in verse 15, 2, 15. 2.15. Do not love the what? That's a system we're talking about that says live for who? Got it, everybody? Do not love the world nor the things in the world. Things aren't bad, but he's talking about loving here that he's the object of our desires. 
If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The, the Bible's in black and white, yes or no, right or wrong, isn't it? World, love of the world's not in him. For all that is in the world, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is what? Passing away. Also it's lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Has God in mind. Not that we're trying to be obedient to work our way into heaven. We're sinners. But through the Savior, our desire is to live lives that are pleasing to him. That passage worth reading in light of Ecclesiastes 2, would you agree? Okay, another, another application. Idolatry is the most grievous sin. Say no more, amen? It all gets back to self. It's the most grievous and costly sin. I'm in Deuteronomy. I just finished Deuteronomy. Oh, my, what it costs. And, and Moses said in his, his swan song, you're, you're going to rebel against me and you're going to suffer. Oh, my, because you're going to go after other gods. Lesson five, learn the joy of contentment. Philippians 4, we won't turn there, but what is contentment? It is what I need to preach and you need to preach to yourself continually that I can be satisfied and happy with what I already have. I don't need another saddle. I can't believe I said that. I don't need another. I, I, stop. Stop. Being content. It's a virtue, is it not? I don't need another tractor. I'm talking to you, man. Whenever they hit him, Darla, another tractor. <laughs> Contentment. Are you content? Are you a content person? Wow. Learn the blessing of Acts 20, 35. Paul's preaching and reminding the Ephesians about the things that Jesus taught. And here's another one you better know. If you don't know, you need to know. And you've heard it all the time. Acts 20, 35. He says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. How many here this morning have the gift of getting more blessed to give to give than to receive you good giver i know many of you are i know many of you are and the rest of us are learning the joy learning the joy of giving number seven application wealth is often more a curse than it is a blessing people win the lottery and then regret it <laughs> luke 12 i don't have time for it but is the jesus told this story as a warning and it's the guy who built all of the barns and filled them up with everything else. And then God said to him, you fool, because he was not rich toward God. He was not prepared for eternity. Wealth is often more a curse than a blessing. Number eight, we want to remember Augustine's quote, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in thee. Amen? And one last quote, I'll end with this. Maybe. Number nine. In the Christian life, pleasure is only safer when God is there. This never happens when we take pleasure for ourselves or make it our main possession in life. It only happens when we receive every pleasure as a gift of God. The way David did when he said, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Deborah mentioned to me, she had it written as a quote in Ecclesiastes, mentioned it to me this morning. I said, Deborah, that is providential. 
So I'll close with this. This is from Wearsby. Life is an adventure. Live by faith, Hebrews 11. Life is a gift. Enjoy it, 11, 7 through 12, 8. Life is a school. Learn from it. But, oh, life is a stewardship. Fear God. Jesus said, lay up for yourself treasures where? How are you going to do that? How are you doing that? How are you investing in that which matters for all eternity? How am I doing that? That has everything to do with the gospel, does it not? Because there's something that we know is eternal, and that's souls. That's people who need Christ. And that's people who are going to spend eternity somewhere. Amen? But even beyond that, treasures in heaven, things that matter to the God of heaven. Eternal versus the... Eternal versus the temporal. Amen? Father, thank you for our warning through Solomon. We wonder why he think he had to go through this. Uh, he drifted. And we sure don't. But we can get caught up there. And yet, how worthy you are. You, you have made us for yourself. And that true blessing, joy, blessedness, blessed are the, the blessings of life are found preeminently in serving and living for you. May we believe it and may we live it. In Christ's name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.